Okay, good morning, church. Yeah, so we are wrapping up our, our theme of kingdom culture, uh, number nine, which is, I am a part of a much bigger picture, okay? And um, interestingly, when we were coming up with the cultural responsibilities, you know, when we were, we were at that time, we were still Bethany Life, right? There, were, there needed to be enough responsibilities that were um, outward looking, looking at who we are as a church to the outside world, but also who we are internally. What, what does High Point Life look like in private, not just to the outside world? And we were actually inspired by a Hillsong cultural responsibility, okay? And in Hillsong, one of their cultural, cultural responsibilities was this. What I'm a part of is bigger than the part I play. Okay, let us think in now. What I'm a part of, what I'm a part of, is bigger than just the part I play. You might be a cell group leader, you might be a Sunday school teacher, you might be a youth committee member, you might be a hospitality member, but what you play is smaller than what you are a part of, okay? So that, that was what this vision statement or what this cultural responsibility was inspired by. I am a part of a much bigger picture. So in context, this particular cultural responsibility was meant to tell us that wherever we serve, Okay, we are always meant to remember that we serve a bigger picture. Okay, in whatever, whatever uh, thing you serve in, whatever ministry or whatever role you serve in, you are always meant to serve a bigger vision here in the local church. Hence why the title okay, of this, I'm a part of a much bigger picture, is vision-driven. Sometimes people misuse this cultural responsibility in saying, oh, I'm a part of a much bigger picture, so I need to go and be involved in parachurches, or I need to go and be involved in other bigger ministries outside the church. But no, this particular cultural responsibility actually has to do with internally within the church that what you serve is bigger than just the part you play. Okay, so now let's talk about vision. Okay, let's talk about vision. Now, when uh, I got married recently in, in April, I had a vision of what it would be. My now wife had a vision of what she wanted the wedding to have or what the wedding was supposed to, what are some of the elements of the wedding. She wanted a big wedding, which was mighty difficult to plan for during COVID season. She wanted um, a wedding where we could um, share the gospel subtly, explicitly, in any way possible because she had a lot of uh, non-believing relatives. Uh, and of course, something small, she wanted a dress with pockets. Okay, that was something she really wanted. She wanted a dress with pockets, managed to accomplish that. Now, I'm going to share some things I didn't want at my wedding. And I made this explicitly clear. I didn't want five songs to be anywhere near my wedding. I had a wedding ceremony in church. Uh, I had a garden reception, mainly for the young people um, and some of our peers. And we also had um, a Chinese wedding dinner, right? And all three parts, I didn't want these five songs anywhere near or anything played, any of these five songs played anywhere near my wedding. Uh, for the young people, you might know, Marry Me by Train, Bru Marry You by Bruno Mars, because it says that it's a dumb thing to marry you in Bruno Mars. Uh, so it's... I don't understand why weddings use that. Okay, I didn't want A Thousand Years by Christina Perry. Don't like the song. And I didn't want Perfect or think, Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran. Finally, for the older ones, or the more young at heart, I didn't want Elvis Presley's Can't Help Falling In Love. So these were the five songs, I, or five plus two Ed Sheeran songs, that I really did not want anywhere near my wedding. Interestingly, I don't know if any of you know, maybe my groomsmen know, my wife definitely knows, 
there was one passage of scripture I also didn't want anywhere near my wedding. And every time we, when Ethan and I were courting and we would go for weddings, um, and the passage was being read, I, she would always look at me with um, with the with eyebrows raised. And that passage of scripture is 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, I didn't want it anywhere near my wedding. In fact, people offered us decorations that had love is patient, love is kind, all you know, along the aisle and all that. And I said, no, I don't want this. Um, in fact, when I called Pastor Jeff to speak for my wedding, I told him, Pastor Jeff, whatever it is, please do not use or quote 1 Corinthians 13. And he laughed on the phone and he says, I totally understand why and I think you're doing it for the right reason. And the reason why I didn't want 1 Corinthians 13 anywhere near my wedding was because I've always felt 1 Corinthians 13 is such a rich, powerful passage that was meant for the church first, not for romantic relationships or between spouses. Okay, so we know, we know that this passage was actually talking to churches or to a church because we look at the passages around it, okay, and in fact, it was a letter to a church anyway, okay. It was, 1 Corinthians in itself was a letter to address a church who had issues and disunity and squabbles within it, okay. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul covers the themes of how spiritual gifts are meant to be used in the context of a body, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, the foot does not say he does not belong to the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. He says, there are many members, but one body. Then in 1 Corinthians 14, the chapter after the whole passage on love, he continues with spiritual gifts, okay, and how they are meant to edify the church, not just for our own, but to build the church so that the church fulfills its primary purpose. And in between chapter 12 and chapter 14, there is this passage of chapter 13, all about love. It's very familiar, overquoted sometimes, misused many times of 1 Corinthians 13. So let's look at the passage, and I'll start from 1 Corinthians 12. So now you can see it on the screen, and I'll read from verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, then prophets, third teachers, then, mir then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all pos possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, there's no answer here, but it's almost like he's asking a rhetorical question because the answer is no, right? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, Paul says, Paul tells the church, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Okay? Now, there are all these gifts listed, and yet Paul says, I will still, I want to show you a more excellent way. And then, if you ever heard my dad preach, he always say, uh, forget about the, sometimes forget about the, the chapters and the verses, right? When, when they wrote these letters or these books, there weren't any chapters or verses. So let's just continue with verse 13, or chapter 13. Okay, he says, I will show you a more excellent way. Continuing, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I gave away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So today I want to talk about three truths we can 
we can learn from, or I've learned from, from 1 Corinthians 13. Now, this is a very, it's a, as I was preparing for this message, I was telling my wife, it's kind of like a difficult passage to break down, or it's a difficult passage to preach to a church, uh, because it is an idealistic message in a sense that I've been, uh, I've been guilty of it as much as I've been a victim of it, if you understand what I'm saying, right? Um, or, so it is because the church is not perfect in itself. So let's learn these three truths. The first truth I've got from this passage was that number one, love is the more excellent way. Okay, love is the more excellent way. Now, when we look at our church's vision, and I stared at it a long time, uh, you know, within the last two weeks, um, when we look at our church's vision, we may look at it and scratch our heads, right, by reading it, and what usually pops out at us is this word apostolic model, and wonder how it looks like. We assume that the apostolic model is just full of supernatural gifts overflowing from the church, and while that may be true, that the church is meant to live out the way Jesus lived and be that body, okay, there is a more excellent way or a driving force behind this supernatural gifts. Now, the apostolic model is more than just the gifts, okay? Now, the apostolic model was because it was the next line, which is actually the biggest part of what you see on the vision there, which is driven by God's love. Okay, the big word that you see on, on the wall behind is God's love. So it's more than just this supernatural gift. What should be the driving force of the supernatural gifts that we see in church today is love. And the reason for that is because love ultimately puts the focus on people and points to God. Sometimes the gifts in itself can just make people be wowed by the gifts in itself. But we want people to be wowed by God, not by the gifts. Now, Matthew 5.16 says this, Let your light shine before all men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. Now, our good deeds are never meant to just be charitable work or good gifts. Our good gifts are always meant to point people back to God. So to love the church is this. Now, I have some points on the screen. To love the church is this. Number one, and this is something I share even with the youth that I work with, SU, right, in Scripture Union, when they, when they serve in their CFs or whatever. To love the local church is not about the program or projects, okay? Coming and attending everything does not prove that you love the local church or the church that God has placed you in. Number two, it is not about the processes, okay? Just because you love the worship, just because you love the way hospitality is done at High Point Life, which is great, uh, just because you love the atmosphere at High Point Life does not mean that you actually love the church. I would even go as far as to say that it, it might not even be about the people. Loving the local church might not just be about the people because people can hurt you, people can backstab you. Uh, we have experienced that, the leaders here have experienced that, right? People can be, can, people can be cutting. But to go beyond that, to love the local church is to love the purpose of what the church is for. Okay? To love the vision. Okay? Serving the church the way Christ would serve it. Remember, Christ is the bridegroom of the church. Did Jesus have a program? Yes. Did Jesus have processes? Yes. He told stories. That was his process of getting his message. He did miracles. That was his process. Did he love people? Of course. He had his disciples. He had the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John. He had people whom he loved, his, his earthly family. 
But ultimately, the reason why he had all that was because he had a vision that he was going to come to reconcile man to God. And that was his vision. And everything else played into that vision. He came, so he did all this, was ultimately to serve his vision for mankind, and that was for mankind to be his. So let's continue with truth number two. But before that, let's look at the passage, right? I'm going to read from the NIV, 1 Corinthians 13. This is the part we all know. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I'm going to read it in the ESV just for you to listen because it's not on the screen. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, truth number two is this. Perfect love in action describes who God is. Simple as that. Perfect love in action describes who God is. And because perfect love describes who God is, the church has a responsibility to reflect that as His body. Okay, the church has a responsibility to reflect that as his body. John 13, 35 says this, And they will know you are my disciples by your love. Your love for who? Your love for one another. That's the, that's the verse, right? In other versions, you, you would probably know it says, By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I've shown this slide many times you know, in, in the church before through different ways, right? It's not about our righteousness, our theology, our powerful gifts, our excellence, our worship, our events. For people to know first how we are Jesus' disciples, we need to first, first love one another. This is not just to the outside world. This is first to each other. And I might be, I, might, I, I don't know, but I mean, I've, I'm involved in an outside ministry with Scripture Union, and I, and I think this sometimes is a prickly subject because sometimes Christians can get into the, into the mode of, I always just need to show my love for my non-Christian friends or to the poor or to the needy without actually knowing how to love the church first. Galatians 6, 9 to 10 says this. Next slide, yeah. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And sometimes we just memorize that verse, verse 9. But verse 10 says this, Therefore, which is a continuation from verse 9, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, which isn't wrong, but it continues to say, especially to those who belong 
to the family of believers. I hope that sinks in. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So, how can we love the believers? 1 Corinthians 13 had said this, Love is patient, love is kind. Listen to one another. Okay? Listen to one another. Sometimes, you know, the, the one thing that is so difficult to do is to listen, is to be patient and to listen to someone. Flee from envy or boasting. Okay? And this boasting comes from a boasting of pride, not boasting of the Lord. Okay? We, we, we talked about um, uh, showing Jesus off, you know, in one of our cultural responsibilities. Yes, if you want to boast, boast loudly in the Lord. Boast about what God is doing in your ministry. Boast about what is happening in your life. Boast about how good God is. Okay, there must be joy in the house of the Lord. That's what we uh, sang this morning. So, boasting from a place of pride, okay, is not what love is. Don't be arrogant or rude. That's what the ESV said, right? Learn to say sorry. I forgive you. Thank you. Please, okay, this is, this is, don't be arrogant, don't, don't be, don't be arrogant means don't be afraid of even asking for help because understand that love comes from a place of dependence as well. Don't be self-seeking, that's what First Corinthians 13 says. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking like, how does self-seeking look like in the church? And I was thinking, I, I, I had this line in my head that says this, instead of asking is it worth my time? Let us turn that around to ask, how does this fulfill vision? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so again, I, I put it out there. Ask whether it is fulfilling vision instead of, is it worth my time? Okay, ask whether does this fulfill vision instead of, is it worth my time? Because sometimes I think the, the way we say yes and no Okay, to different things that maybe the pastors ask us or maybe we have been offered something or maybe even to initiate something. It doesn't mean that something, somebody has to ask you something before you do something right in church. But for us to initiate something, okay, we always ask, oh, yeah, is it really worth my time? But instead, I think we should ask, does it fulfill vision? And I think the pastors, the council, uh, many people who serve in different places or even those who were leaders formerly, right, um, the, the reason why we would hang on to something, okay, to persevere in something, is really because we understand that it's not about our time or our energy, but it's really because it is fulfilling a bigger purpose and uh, it is fulfilling vision. Be long-suffering, not easily angered. That's what First Corinthians 13 says. Uh, be easily forgiving. Don't, re don't keep a record of wrongs. Delight in the truth. Reject evil. Okay, and finally, in the NIV, it ends by saying, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I will take a pause here to say, this seems very different, okay? When you read it in the context of a church, rather than, you know, I'm staring into my fiancé or my wife's eyes and telling her, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy you know, it is different from when you come to church and you're seeing someone who hurt you and when you see someone who is incompetent in a committee meeting or when you see someone that you like, you're this person are always late, la. this person are always not dependent, la. or you're this person. Now, 
That was what this passage was for. Not for a boyfriend and a girlfriend to be looking into each other's eyes and to saying, uh, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. No! This was meant for the church that had squabbles, that had disunity. Okay? So it seems very different. It's definitely different, but actually it's, it's not just different, it's more difficult. Okay? So loving the church is sacred and it requires sacrifice, which is godly love, right? It requires sacrifice of what? It requires sacrifice of time. It requires sacrifice of ambition. It requires sacrifice of status. It requires sacrifice of money. And finally, I think one of the things we grapple with the most as human beings, especially in today's culture, I think loving the church requires sacrifice of convenience. I did say I am as guilty of this as I have been a recipient of this as well. But we do this, okay, I just talked about it, why love is about sacrifice. We do this really because we know who God is. Perfect love in action describes who God is. And when we read this, we look at how extreme it is. We know who God is and what He has done for us. So God's standard for love is an extreme definition. We can serve without loving God, but we can't love God without serving His bride. Okay, you've heard this in the context of giving as well. But I'm changing the word to serve. We can serve without loving God, Okay, we, can, we can be involved in church. We can, we can play the music. We can be in hospitality team. We can be in the AV team. We can be in Sunday school. We can be in cell group, serving the cell group. We can bring our food and refreshment to cell group. We can be doing all that. We can serve without loving God. But you can't love God without serving His bride. So if you really love God, you will serve His bride. Loving someone is not always convenient. Okay, loving someone is not always convenient. However, loving someone fulfills vision. If my parents, um, if my parents didn't love me, okay, just because it was inconvenient, then the vision for their home would not be fulfilled. If you love someone despite the inconvenience, you will fulfill your vision. You love your family, you fulfill your vision for a home. You love your Spouse, you are fulfilling your vision for marriage. If you love your friends, if you love your peers, you are fulfilling your vision for a healthy relationship or healthy friendships. So loving someone is not always convenient, but it fulfills vision. Now, last part of 1 Corinthians 13. Yes, it ends with this. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I, grew, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And it ends with this. So now faith, hope, and love abide. 
these three. But the greatest of this is love. So the final truth today is love is the foundation of our spiritual growing up. Okay, it's the driving force of our spiritual growing up. If you want to grow up spiritually, you've got to learn to love first. I, I put here, uh, for those of you who understand the bigger words, I wanted to put here, but love is the foundation of our sanctification process. Okay, it is the driving force for our sanctification process. Now, the final bit of 1 Corinthians 13 basically says that love will remain even when all the other gifts cease to work. Okay, one day when we are in heaven, okay, um, the, the gifts will cease, okay? So, Paul is saying, so, so work on love and practice it within the church with believers the most because this love will never pass away. This love will never pass away. Why? Simple, because now in the new covenant, okay, in the new covenant, on this side of the cross and resurrection, love is what the laws hang on. Love is what the laws hang on. Now, in Matthew 22, an expert of the law came to Jesus and asked Jesus, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. Now, in this version that you have on the screen, it says the second is like it. If you read the NLT, the New Living Translation, it says, and equally, okay, and equally. So this is not like second, okay? And he's just listing it down. The second is like it, okay? Like it equals equally. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, you might ask, be asking Joe, but this is not to the church. This is to... Neighbours, neighbours is anyone, okay? As we know, the context of neighbours for Jesus was anyone. So where does this talk about the church or your local church? Now, Paul later expounds in, in Galatians 6, okay? Just now we read Galatians 6, 9 and 10, right? About especially to the believers, um, do good to all people, especially to the family of believers. Now, just four or seven verses before that, Galatians 6 verse 2 says this, Paul says this, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you fulfil the law of Christ. Now, loving people, but more importantly, loving the church, serving her, caring for her, is the process that develops and grows us. Because church, I've grown up in church for 32 years, or my dad said 31 and a half years. Church is really not the easiest place to be in. Okay? I am a pastor's kid. I will testify that church is one of the hardest places to grow up in. It can be a place where people are not the nicest people. Uh. You know, you can actually find, I mean, I'm sure you all would, would, have, would have experienced this, right? You can find nicer people outside. You can find better friends even sometimes outside the church. So church is really not the easiest place to like get along with people and just... just you know, just be best of friends with people within the church. But serving her, caring for her, is the process that develops us and grows us. But more importantly, doing this purifies us so that again, we can fulfill the vision God has for us as His bride. When we are presented to Jesus as His bride, 
He is purifying us today. And love is the driving force for that purification or that sanctification process. So, how does this message tie in with the topic of being vision-driven? I've been talking about love more than the big picture for most of the message. But love is the vision Jesus had for His body. Love is the vision Jesus had for His body. When He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, John 17, 20-23, Jesus prayed for the church that the church would be one. We fulfill vision by and build culture on intentionality. We've been hearing that in the interviews over the last two to three weeks. So we fulfill vision and build culture on intentionality. What you accept is what you get. So let me take you behind the scenes as we close. Let me take you behind the scenes of me as a worship leader and what I do. First, I ask, when I know I'm worship leading, first I ask, what is the church going through? How are the songs fulfilling the vision, the theme of the message of the week, month, and year? Now, we are going through the big theme of our, of our church right now is restoration, okay? And then, here we are in a smaller theme of the month on kingdom culture. And maybe today, the message is on big vision or a bigger vision or vision-driven. So, I ask those questions. Then, I ask... I usually speak to some ministry leaders or different people within the church. I speak to my dad as a senior pastor, okay, just to get a gauge of how the church has been responding to different things, whether in cell group, uh, whether, you know, in different things, in SOM, whatever. In fact, when I was at the Hillsong Conference, somebody, uh, during a Q&A, somebody asked Matt Redmond, okay, um, he wrote Heart of Worship, he wrote um, I Will Offer Up My Life, very famous worship leader. Somebody asked him in a Q&A style forum, what is the one big advice you have for worship leaders? And he smiled and he laughed and he said, actually, the one, the biggest advice I have for worship leaders in local churches is to stay close to your senior pastor. And the reason he said that was that he said that your senior pastors understand how the vision is being fulfilled in the church in that time. And your, whatever your worship leading, okay, your time of worship leading helps to fulfill that. Okay, so you are serving a bigger vision. Again, what I'm a part of is bigger than the part I play. Then I pray and seek God. Okay, I ask God, what issues are you bringing into my life? What tunes maybe, melody, words or lyrics God is bringing into my life? I look at the lyrics and the songs chosen by even other worship leaders in the last two, three weeks recently. How can I compliment them? Okay, what were they trying to do? Then I look at the songs that I have presented to me, okay? Are the songs, uh, are the songs helpful for people of different congregations because we have people in India and, and, you know, different parts of Malaysia, okay? That's why sometimes when I have a Malay song, usually I will have all the subtitles ready for them because we have congregation from India and different parts and even people in Malaysia who don't understand BM. I look at the songs. I want to see what musicians I have. I see how the set list can bring out their strengths. I see how the set list can also help them grow. Then, I prepare what I want to say to my musicians at the practice. Explain how I got these songs. 
And then even at the practice, who I listen to is important. More than how I sing, okay, as a worship leader, for me, what is important is, are my musicians listening to one another? Am I listening to my musicians? Am I understanding? That's why sometimes you ask the musicians here, right, if I'm worship leading, I go through again and again just the starting or the coming in because I might have problems with that. Because how I listen to them is very, very important. Where I sit when I come in, my posture, what I wear, everything is done with intention. And that's what I want to say. Every part of worship leading, or at least how I've tried to worship lead, has been done with intention. And that's not to boast, but again, I want to say that there are many times where I failed in a lot of these parts. Okay? But that's the standard I think we should all hold ourselves to in whatever we, whatever we try to serve in, in church because we not only serve the King of Kings, but we are fulfilling a bigger vision. So again, I'm not saying I do this all the time, but I hold myself to this standard because if I want to fulfill vision, it's not just about doing a good job, but it's about being intentional. So I'm going to go through three don'ts, okay, even as we close. Three don'ts and then four ideas on how to practice love in church. First one, don't take anyone for granted. Be intentional. Okay, and when I say don't take anyone for granted, again, I will say I've been guilty of this for taking someone for granted as much as I have been a recipient of this, of people who, was, who took me for granted. Ah, this is Elder Stephen or Pastor Stephen's son. Okay, recently I was in a forum with two or three, or three of my uh, Scripture Union um, colleagues on the panel and out of the four of us, Three of us came from sec uh, second-generation Christians, and only one was from a non-Christian uh, background. And two of them, or at least me and another guy, are like church leaders' children, okay? And both of us are like the senior pastor's junior kid. And as we were reflecting, because questions were coming in, as we were reflecting, uh, we realized that as we were growing up in our teens, there wasn't really someone to take us under their wing. There wasn't really someone, and that created a lot of trust issues with us. You know, like, I don't really trust the church. Why, you know, why would someone, like, later on in life, even in our 20s or 30s, why would you love, why would you love me that way? And so even as a youth pastor standing here today, even as a youth worker standing here today, um, I, I want to encourage the church um, don't just look at the, don't just look at someone younger than you, but even someone older than you that might um, might ha might feel like they've been taken advantage of. Don't take anyone for granted, right? Be intentional about everyone um, and love everyone. Okay, don't just think ah this person I know need to initiate with life. Anything he should initiate with me, or don't just think like you know, or this person, he's a church leader, he's okay one, don't need, I, don't need to, I don't need to care for him, or I don't need to care for her, or I don't need to show, any, I mean, if she wants, she'll come and talk to me, you know? So don't take anyone for granted. The second don't is this, don't give up. Okay, Uncle Rini's favorite line, <laughs> waiting for him to, don't give up. Okay? Be consistent, be consistent with love. Okay? Be consistent with love. Sometimes, persistent pays off. Okay? It's long-suffering. That's what, that's what uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, right? It is long-suffering. And finally, number three, 
We've talked about it even today in the worship. Don't underestimate what God can do with the love that you have within the church. Be expectant. Okay? Don't underestimate what God can do. Okay, I'm going to end with uh, four practical things we can do to show our love. Okay? And I'm trying to break barriers here. Okay? So let's look at the first one. Number one, to put love in action within the church, okay, within the church, volunteer in a different ministry. I'm so glad that um, when I was growing up in church, um, we were, we had the opportunity as, as a teen, I had the opportunity to serve in the youth committee since the age of 14. Uh, that means at 14 years old, the church leader said, okay, this batch become the youth committee. But at 17, after from five, we were essentially told, you all have to find a new ministry. So that means the rule at that time, okay, was that after 17 years old, you have to find a different ministry. You cannot be involved in youth ministry. And so I had to try my hand in different ministries. I had to try my hand in, first I, I tried it in children's ministry, okay. I tried my hand in, I was in children's ministry for four years, okay. Then I had my hand in evangelism ministry, in the evangelism team. I was in the... Then coming here, I was life as pastor or life as manager. I had, I had my hand in different things. And that's not to boast, but that's to say that that was a growing up process for me to learn how to love different parts of the church. And I think all of us should try that. Okay, I'm sure different, you know, different ministry leaders would love to have more people on their team. If you love to involve yourself in children's ministry or youth ministry, come and see Leon or myself. If you love to be involved in your cell groups, go and see Pastor Swan. Even if you don't love it, I should say, learn to love it. Okay? <laughs> Volunteer in a different ministry. Okay, next one. Have a meal with people not in your generation or not your cell group members. Okay? Have a meal with people not in your generation and not your cell group members. Okay, I love having meals with my peers, with my youth. Okay, but even recently, you know, we've had meals. Dr. Sean and Vilma was at our, at our place. Um, you know, uh, there are other families that have come. You know, we, we have just, we just loved having people to share a meal with. Okay. Um, have a meal with people not in your generation and not your cell group members, okay? Sometimes make an appointment after church, go and have a meal with someone not in your generation or not even your cell group members. So, because it's not about the part you play, it's about what you are a part of, right? Number three, this is a very interesting suggestion. Sit in a different place on a Sunday. Don't sit at the place where you usually sit. Sit at a different place and then pray for someone near you after the service. Okay, sometimes the, the place where we sit can be a comfort zone. And I, I, will, I will be guilty of that too. Okay? But sit in a different place and then after the service, whoever's near you, because it will be, somewhere, it will be somebody different what, near you, right? Because you're sitting in a different place. Ask them, how can I pray for you? Or just one thing that I can pray for you that day. Breaking down barriers. And finally, if you really love the vision of your church, Invite someone to church. If you really love the vision of your church, invite someone to church. So in order for us to be vision-driven, 
for us to be heading towards being a church based on the New Testament apostolic model driven by God's love to bring good news and discipling nations through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, we need to be intentional about loving the vision of our church. To love the vision of our church is to love people and then the processes and the programs will flow. To love the local church God has placed you in is to love vision first and to be intentional about it. The New Testament church had a common purpose and they started by deeply loving each other. They sold property to the point that others found their love bizarre and they had to make this term called koinonia. But in order to love the church first, might I add that we all need to experience God's love first and to love Him back first. Talk about it. Talk about your love for God. Talk about God's love for you. And when we are more aware of how much God loves us, then and only then we can be driven by God's love to live out the way He did. Because a love for vision is really the gateway to everything God has in store for you and for God to fulfill His vision here at High Point Life. So what I'm a part of is bigger than the part I play. To love vision is to love what you are a part of more than just the part you play. Let's pray. So Lord, even as we close today, I thank you for your extreme love that you have shown us through the cross. And now through your resurrection, we, uh, we can understand. We can understand how much your death and resurrection actually means to us. And we pray, Lord, that even as we, even as we live our daily lives, that your love will not be just remembered here in church or in a church building on a Sunday, but from Mondays to Saturdays, that we will not only remember your love, but we will be driven by your love to bring good news and discipling nations through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray, Lord, that our experience of your love will help us love the church even when people hurt us, even when people are mean to us, even when we feel like we have been taken advantage of, even when we feel like we've been taken for granted, that we will remember the vision you have for the church, that we will remember that we, we have a higher calling, we have a bigger purpose. Help us to love the church the way you would want us to love the church. So now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of hope fill you 
with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with the love and hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people say, Amen. Thank you.